So uh, the title that I've got uh, is Whose Money Is It Anyway? Um, this is the um, third in the series we're doing on money here. Uh, we've uh, been doing things parallel in Hatfield. Um, so this is attempt number two for me on this subject. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we'll be looking at uh, Luke uh, chapter 14, verse 25 to 33 uh, in a minute. Um, so it will all come up on the screen, but if you like to follow along on your phone or in a Bible, if you bought one, um, uh, feel free to turn to that now. So, whose money is it anyway? We're going to be thinking about the money that we have. How do we think about using it? And of course, who does it really belong to? Um, and a topic that many of us will, our minds will go to when we think about this is the topic of tithing. And uh, Tim really helpfully uh, teed me up in Hatfield um, when I spoke on this in Hatfield, and he's teed all of you up here uh, on speaking on uh, tithing last week and kind of where that comes from and the ideas from the Old Testament about that. Um, but I want to start by uh, putting up uh, what many of us will, uh, our minds will go to uh, when we think of uh, the traditional teaching on tithing. Um, obviously, you've heard a bit about that last week, um, but it's not quite as simple as this uh, pie chart. Yes, please. There we go. Um, there's the green bit, the 10%, and the blue bit. The 90%, that, that bet's mine, the green bit's God's. And even if we haven't actually been directly taught this, a lot of the time our minds will go to this as a kind of simplification. This is how we understand giving and tithing in particular. If you go to the next slide, um, I want to say tithing and thinking about it in this way is dangerous. I have found it quite hard thinking, because I've thought in this way myself, is what I've you know, assumed that this is, the, this is the way that we should be handling our money. And as I've been prepping this particular uh, um, preach, God's really been showing me the danger and the pitfalls that can go with this kind of thinking. There are, there's a problem with the 90% in this pie chart, and there's a problem with the 10%. So I want to start with the 90%. There's a problem with the 90% because if that's mine, and I've got to get my rent, my mortgage, or my mortgage, my bills, my food, my holidays, hobbies, whatever else, that's all got to come out of that 90%. Whether I spend or whether I save, that's all up to me. And that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure on that 90%. There's a lot of responsibility. And it can be a real problem if that 90% actually isn't enough to get by on your essentials. That's why we're talking about this. This, is, this series is Christ in the Cost of Living Crisis. This is what's happening for people right now. There isn't enough. That pie chart isn't big enough to get out what you really need. So if that's mine, there can be a real issue there, that 
But actually, there's also an issue with the 10%. And that's where I want to read from Luke chapter 14. Heads up, when we read this, it's not immediately apparent that this is about tithing. But we'll get to it, don't worry. <laughs> okay. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said... If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, <coughs> such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. When he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off or ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So, is this about tithing? Uh, no, certainly not, obviously. But I want to focus on the tower bit for a moment. If you go to the next slide, here we've got a kid's tower, just to illustrate this. Um, This, what Jesus is saying here, does seem to be about using your money wisely. Is this the message that Jesus is trying to get across to us? You need to work hard, plan ahead, get your affairs in order, and don't be too ambitious with what you have. How does that fit with what's coming before and after, though? It doesn't quite make sense. If that's all that Jesus is saying here, is this the kind of message that Jesus wants to give to us, don't get ahead of yourself. And there are certainly are situations in our lives where that can be very wise advice. But I want to suggest that actually there's something bigger going on here. And it has a lot of relevance to tithing. It has a lot of relevance to what I was showing at the beginning. Uh, at least how we view the money that we give away, that, that 10%, if, if that's what you've chosen uh, to give. We don't understand something in the Bible. It's generally quite helpful to find somebody who's smarter than you and has looked at it a lot longer than you have and find out what they thought about it. So that's what I did. Um, I, there's a theologian called Tom Wright. Um, some of you, of you probably might well have heard of him. Um, I really like and really rate him. He's got, done some great stuff. If you, he's written commentaries on like really accessible ones on all, all the books of the Bible. Um, so that's what I did. I went to his little um, Luke for Everyone commentary. Um, and he says that Jesus is talking about the temple here. So I've got a picture here. This is the temple um, that King Herod built. And this is the place that Tim was talking about last week, uh, where people brought their money 
They brought their money to give it to God, uh, and the offerings all passed through this place. And uh, in Jesus' day, this temple was controlled by King Herod. And the temptation of anyone who's in charge of a flow of money is that they have the opportunity to control that money and to manipulate where it goes and how it's spent. And that's exactly what Herod did. Um, He spent the money on massive construction projects around extending the temple to make it look like this is a model. Um, You can see somebody stood next to it there. That's in modern-day Jerusalem. You can go and see this. I haven't, but if you ever go there, you could. And he's building these big extensions. And the goal there is actually about making himself look good. And historians still talk about Herod's temple to this day because of what he did. And Jesus compares this to a part-finished tower. He's saying, what you're focusing on here is the gloss and the glamour, and you're missing the core purpose of its existence. And won't such a place that is built on that kind of foundation, that can become a place of ridicule rather than something that you'd be proud of. So the temple for God's glory has become a tower for man's glory. There were other people uh, at Jesus' time Um, who wanted that money that was going through this place to go towards uh, raising an army. That's on the next slide, if you've got that. Uh, So suppose a king is going to war against another king, and this is this this idea uh, that you would work out whether you can win before you go into battle. And these people were saying, let's use this money that's going through the temple to raise an army and get rid of these Romans that are oppressing us. And political freedom is certainly not a bad thing to wish for, but it's not what God wanted to do at that time. And Jesus takes down this idea with a similar hard dose of reality. Look at the size of the army that you could raise and look at the might of Rome. It's better to live in peace now than even start down this road to ruin. If you go out in your own strength, you're going to find someone stronger than you coming the other way. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not going to go well. So, that's the 10%. Those are some problems that Jesus was identifying for them at that time with that giving and the way that they were thinking about what they were giving away. What about us now? How does this, how do we make sure that we understand and think about giving in a way that Jesus would want us to? The tower and the army, these pictures, these images, are reminding us that it's possible to give money away and want something back for it. In Jesus' day, they wanted this glorious temple and they wanted freedom from from oppression. And those aren't necessarily bad things. They're good intentions, they're good starting points, but they can get distorted into building something that's actually just about ourselves and not about God. 
So I said at the beginning that tithing is dangerous. Here are three ways uh, that we can make the 10%, if, that's, if we've chosen to give 10% away, about ourselves and not about God. And I put these up. There are probably many, many more things that you can do. But I'm putting these up because this is me putting my hands up saying at different points in my life, these are th ways that I have thought about my giving in an unhelpful way. And I put them up so that hopefully they can help you to think in your giving about your giving in a more helpful way. So number one, forget about it completely. This is where we think about what we give away a bit like paying the rent or playing the water company or your electricity bill or whatever it is. It just comes out of your account every month. You don't even think about it and that's it gone. In the New Testament, the giving that goes on cares a lot about the person that's receiving it. They don't write it off in that way. It's like an expense or a bill payment. Because, and they pray. They pray for the people that are receiving the money. And they really, really care about it. I don't think Jesus wants us to be just writing it off because he wants our hearts to be engaged in the process and the effect of what we're giving, the money that we're giving away. Uh, secondly, um, what do I get back? This is the way of thinking where basically being in a church becomes a little bit like being in a club and you pay your membership fee. And you do that because everybody else does it and you just want to fit in and that's what's expected of you. And then you end up with church actually being... We have this, have this phrase, don't we? Church service. Is this, is this a church service? <laughs> I don't know, what do you call this? It's a meeting. But um, if it's a service then I, I might be here to get served. And I've given some money so that we can pay the church to you know, have, some, have leaders that work for the church and some youth work, and we want to fund a youth leader. And I'll, so then those people are there because they're working for me and they're serving my needs. So far from the New Testament picture of what church is about. People who work for the church work for God. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's listening. <laughs> yeah. And we want that. We want that because if they're working for us, then they're going to be pulled in all sorts of different directions, whereas... People who work for the church, we want them to just hear God and go after what God's put on their hearts. And then great things happen. That's what God wants for all of us, to go after him. But how much more, if you're working for the church, should you know and feel that freedom? Third one an investment to build my church. 
So this one is probably the one of the most subtle and hardest to spot. This is the idea that I would want my church to be bigger or better or more attractive than the one next door. Does my giving glorify Jesus or am I more focused on the project, as it were, of church or maybe a, something that's related to church, maybe a ministry or whatever it is? Jesus said, I will build my church, you go and make disciples. The end of any other approach that doesn't sit underneath that is like that tower, it's like that part-finished tower. You're going to find yourself looking foolish if the person building the church is not Jesus if we put ourselves in that driving seat, it's not gonna end well. So those are some things uh, to avoid. What are we to do? I've got three points on this as well. First of all, give sacrificially. To give an amount that you notice. Jesus tells a story about um, a widow coming into the temple I showed earlier uh, and giving the money that she has, just a few coins. And there are other people that are coming in and giving vast piles of cash. And Jesus says, you see that woman? She gave everything that she had. So does your giving make a difference to your life? that's when you know that it's sacrificial and you know that your heart is after Jesus. Secondly, in the New Testament, uh, we see all over the place uh, giving to the poor. And like I said, that's coupled with prayer. So we give with a motivation of providing for those who are in need. And that's something I think you guys do brilliantly here. It's so good hearing in the notices about all those different things that are going on. Um, and then thirdly, it's heart-led, it's not duty-led. It might not always feel great to give. I had on one of the slides earlier a um, picture of somebody on a laptop with a bank card. And if you've ever been on your internet banking website and you've put in the numbers and you've felt like, oh, God's told me I, I need to give this, and then you press send and it feels like, oh, ow, <laughs> that hurt. Has anyone else <laughs> ever felt like that? Oh, hello. Is it my phone? You can have my phone if you want. <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, so it might not always feel great to give. But actually having a heart that says, I want to see God at work. And what do I have? that God can use. That kind of attitude encourages us to a genuine relationship with God and with other people. And following a rule like I showed on the, on the first slide, this can never mimic that kind of life, that kind of relationship that you have 
with Jesus. And I'm not saying, I'm not standing here saying I've got this all sorted by any stretch at all. But I am saying that I feel that God has spoken to me about it and about the principle and it's something that I want to work on in my own life. And out of that, I'm sharing this with you. So the problem with the pie chart I showed at the beginning is it looks like we're dividing our money, we're dividing our resources between ourselves and God. And the point, of course, is, as we've already heard, it's all God's. And he gives us a choice. He gives us a choice about how much we give away, how much we use for other things, and the stuff that we use for other things is still his. But it's just that he's given it back to us to use for that stuff. And actually, if you read on uh, in Luke, um, you get to chapter 18. If you look at verse 18 of that, there's a real person standing in front of Jesus, presenting himself to Jesus and asking Jesus a question. Um, He's known as the rich young ruler in a lot of Bibles. That's the little heading on that section. And Jesus sees his heart, and he speaks into a lot of the principles that we've drawn out of the passage that we've just been looking at today. Jesus sees this rich man's heart and he exposes it. He he reveals this man's heart by asking him to give his money away. And the man, he can't or he won't do that. And the Bible says that he goes away sad. is a really clear echo of what Jesus says in what we've looked at today. It says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And then on verse 24, reflecting on that, it says uh, in chapter 18, it says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. But going away sad is not the punchline. It's not the punchline of this story. That's the punchline. What's impossible with man is possible for God. So helpful, Jebson, what you brought earlier. You said, I am not capable. You were talking about Moses. I am not capable. That's foundational and fundamental to our faith, I am not capable, but I know somebody who is. I know somebody who is, and I am going to, like Jerry was saying, I want to put my two feet on that foundation. I'm not splitting myself on this crazy pie chart that's going to fall apart underneath me. I'm putting two feet on Jesus and everything he's given me, everything he's given me is his. And I know that he's the most generous person that I know and he's given me all of it back. And I want to live my life like him. I want to live my life in the freedom that he knows of knowing his father, 
managing money well on our own is impossible. <coughs> but with God, with God, what is possible? So I just want to finish by praying for us. I don't want this. This is not um, a moment for a kind of a great fanfare. Actually, this is something where we all have to decide where we stand. Where are we putting our feet? Like Jerry said, where are your feet? Are you going to step two feet onto Jesus? And then you decide in your own heart what you're going to give and how you're going to respond to that. So I'm just going to pray. Jesus, I just ask that you would change our hearts and you would reveal to us if there's any part in us that is like that rich man that came to you and there's something we don't want to let go of and is actually going to hold us back from all of the life that you have and all the joy that you have for us. Would you show us would you help us? Lord, we don't want to have anything other than a completely solid foundation. We want our strength to be in you and not in ourselves. We want to build something that in, in our lives that glorifies you and not ourselves. Would you help us? Help us just see you in everything that we're doing, in all the resources you've given to us, whether that's our money, our time, our energy. Lord, thank you that you hold the whole lot and that you are such a generous God to just give it back to us. Amen.